0: All right, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're just going to cover one one simple sentence tonight. One simple sentence. I'm not going to tell you it's from verses 3 to verse 12, but that's one sentence in the Greek, okay? <laughs> now, if you'll look in your English translation, it, they divide it up into more than one sentence. But in the Greek, literally, it is one sentence. Um, uh, so let's read it together, and then we'll... We'll cover this section as much as we can. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He had He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, just that, just reading that, you can see that Peter is in a run-on sentence. He would not pass English 101, okay? <laughs> uh, but he continues on. This is continuing a, a, a continual thought through this whole thing. Uh, though they put a period there in some of our translations, it's a continual thought. Though you have not seen him, you love him. of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that they have now, that they have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. All right. So Peter Peter, the the head of the apostles, is now writing his first letter. Now, there's there's a there's no in in conservative Christianity no uh, argument that Peter is the author of this book. Um, there is absolutely no uh, argument about his second book. There are a few that say this book is written with a lot of classical type greek a little higher greek than second peter so is it possible that peter didn't write this book and we say no not possible at all but it's interesting that a man by the name of uh silas who he talks about by the at the end of the book in chapter 5 verse 12 by Silvanius which is Silas, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you. So it's possible that Silas had a little bit of influence in this book, at least with some of the wording. Obviously Peter, though maybe he talked it out, Silas may have been the one who penned it down, and obviously again underneath the control of the Holy Spirit, whether it was whether it was whoever penned it it was Peter's words maybe penned through Silas and this is possibly the reason why the the Greeks a little bit more refined than Peter remember he was a fisherman he wasn't probably an, a real educated man though I don't think it would be far-fetched to say that that these are Peter's words too but I'm just giving you the possibilities out here that uh, people talk about. But we ascribe Peter to be the author of this book. Obviously, underneath the the control of God, these words are the inspired word of God through Peter to us. And Peter is writing uh, earlier than a lot of the other writers. This is one of the earlier books of the New Testament written. Um, We're even going to see... I don't know if you've noticed, let me just maybe draw our attention to it right now. In verse 8, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What does that remind you of? What what passage in the New Testament earlier in the Gospels does that remind you about? The first part of that passage. Does anybody think of a passage that 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 reminds you of? It had to do with a guy, the poor guy, he's always known this way as being one that doubted, but he probably wasn't always the one that doubted. (laughs) But he did doubt at the time. So now we've always known him as who? Doubting Doubting Thomas. Thomas. Okay, so you remember the scenario that John writes about. And John probably wrote his... Uh, gospel uh, either about 85 or 90 AD. And Peter is probably writing here about 64 to 65 A.D. So he's some 20, 25 years before John even writes. But John wrote what the Lord said to the disciples. And guess who was there? Peter. Peter heard that Thomas had to see and he wasn't going to believe. And the Lord pronounced a blessing on those who have not seen yet believe. And that includes us, folks. I mean, we are generations beyond. We have not seen physically the Lord. But Peter had. Peter had seen him. And these people that Peter's writing to, these that are the, according to verse 1, they are the elect exiles or scattered strangers, the King James says, okay? And these are the elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, why were they being dispersed about? Well, it had to do with persecution. It had to do with the persecution that came about because Nero, you remember Nero burned Rome. And many believe that he probably burned Rome because he really liked to build things. And so he had to destroy things in order for him to have an opportunity to build things. But the people were were not happy (laughs) that Rome was burned. This was a lot of their their houses, their culture, their their their, their theaters, all the different buildings that were around. These were all burned up in this in this in this fire, and so in order to deflect the wrath of the people, uh, Peter, just, I mean Nero, decides that he is going to blame the Christians, and so that began real persecution among the Christians. So though the dispersion typically is referred to as a lot of times the Jewish, the Jewish people were dispersed, this is probably a bigger picture than what than what Peter, Peter's not just talking about Jews here, he's probably talking about Gentiles also in this dispersion of Christians across, remember Peter, uh, though he was quote unquote the apostle to the Jews and we would and sometimes we would refer to Paul as a lot of times the apostle to the Gentiles. But you remember, Peter was actually the one first that in, in Acts 15, where Cornelius, the house of Cornelius, needed to hear the gospel. And Peter had to have a vision, not once, not twice, three times before he finally decided, I need to take the gospel to these, these Gentiles. All right, And then he had to convince The other apostles the other jews that this was the right thing to do all right um and then even in that council of jerusalem uh that that uh that actually decided on whether or not these that were gentiles who accepted christ had to actually be circumcised in order to be part of the christian they had to settle that question and and council—that was the very first council. And councils continued to happen, though none are recorded in Scripture. But we know historically, councils decided on on things that were among the Christian people. Questions among the Christian people—even the deity of Christ uh, had to be decided on. Is this Christ? Is Jesus deity or not? There was questions, right? And there was uh, the Council of Nicaea, uh, just clearly laid it out that this is God, a very God. This is Jesus. And there were some that would, because of apostasy, there were some that would not believe that. And we still have groups around that still believe the way they believe. Uh, That apostasy that was, you know, denounced several times, several years ago. But we see here Peter is writing to these that are dispersed, though chosen by God. they, They are the elect. That are dispersed. These are so he's he's drawing attention to God, even as you know we think about our our Sunday school lessons here lately um, through the the uh, video series that we've been watching, and this man keeps pointing to the character of God and getting back to looking at God and who God is, and then that's going to cause us to have the right perspective, and I think Peter is is doing that to these people he's as it were putting blinders on them so that they can be focused and you put blinders on horses so they focus ahead they don't get distracted by things that are around them we had a horse when i was young and uh it was uh, we didn't put blinders on this horse but this horse was scared of fire anytime it saw fire it would run so we had gone on this long trip on the road all the way around this big circle we called it and now we're almost getting back to where we're at home and i mean this is miles that we went and this guy was burning something in his front yard and the horse would not go past that fire scared of fire you know we had blinders we would put them on him but we didn't have any blinders so we put the bigger horse and put the small he was like a pony and uh, we put him next to the other horse so that he couldn't see the fire as we went by and that kept his focus ahead, and we got past the fire. We had to go all the way back around miles to get back home. But that's Peter is kind of putting blinders on these people so that their focus is on God. And so after his introduction, and it's interesting in his introduction that he actually uh, is one of the about five or six times that we call it the Trinitarian formula shows up. All right, the Trinitarian formula. So he says these are the, those are the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. You see all the three persons of the Trinity there. And that only happens about, about five or six times through uh, the, the New Testament. Paul, uh, two or three times, uh, twice. Once in First Corinthians, once in Second Corinthians, once in Ephesians. The Apostle John in Revelation that Pastor just went through when he started the book of Revelation. We saw that Trinitarian formula there. And then, of course, the uh, um, Matthew chapter 28, which Dave Tubbs covered, right? That was his Trinitarian formula there, uh, that we baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, name singular, three persons. All right, so <clears throat> Peter now... Has got his his uh, the beginning of his letter. He he starts his letter uh, with the with the typical introduction. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. It's pretty typical phraseology, but significant to, for these people because they're scattered. I mean, they may not be, uh, I, and I don't know. I mean. Were they not meeting in churches, perhaps? I mean, Peter's now writing to scattered people. It certainly would have been, they probably would have made many copies of this letter and passed it around to the other people, or at least they would, uh, they would circulate this letter quickly uh, among people so they could read it, okay? Um, and so how does Peter begin now when he gets to the body of this? He starts with one big, long sentence in, in verse 3, clear to verse 12. But how does he start? He starts with a doxological approach. Now that's unusual. I don't know if you thought about this, but most doxologies don't come till when? The end of a book or the end of a, of a section where the writer is making a clear point and then they breaks out into a You know, heightened form of words and 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 a a praising of God. So this doxology now is at the beginning. He's starting. He's focusing their attention right away on God. Is what he's doing. And so he he says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." And in in my translation here, it's got an exclamation point. You can see that he is he is uh, he is starting. Fast and to the point, right? And then everything else comes underneath that. So what is happening here is he is praising God. And what is he going to praise God for? And I think if you have any, I'm not sure. Uh, sometimes you have headings in some of your Bibles. We have a reference Bible or some type of a study Bible. Some, and, and the heading underneath this one in, in my reference Bible here is uh, born again to a living hope. I think the living hope is critical in this section. But we're praising God for the living hope that provides eternal salvation. So that's really, the, if you want to write it down, that's the title of my message. Praising God for the living hope that will result in eternal salvation. And that's what's taking place in here, uh, in, this, in this one long sentence. All right, so let's break down this section here. So that we can understand what Peter is after and and how it it can also apply to us. So he starts with talking about God and he, he focuses our attention on God's attributes. The first attribute that he actually mentions here. Well, notice first of all, in each of the sections. Now, if your Bible is one that actually gives breakdown of like paragraphs or breaks in thought. All right, you're going to see that probably verses. I think it's verse. I wrote this down somewhere or typed it out somewhere. I think it's verses three through five. There's mm-hmm. one thought, and then in verse six starts another sort of thought. Now, actually, my bullet, in mine it doesn't do that, but in in the uh, computer program I was using, it did show a paragraph mm-hmm. at, at verse six, and then uh, verses six through ten. Of 6 through 9, and then 10 through 12 being the third section of this one sentence. Okay? Um, but if you'll notice in every one of these sections, there's the time elements involved, all three of them. There's the past, the present, and the future in every one of these sections uh, that that are broken down here. So Peter is, is, is calling our attention, I think, I think for the most part, he is focused on this this idea of the living hope. Now, there are so many things that he talks about in here that are, sub- that are subsequent to that, that are related to that. It's kind of hard to see that, but I think you'll see it if you read beyond this section and then re- look at verse 13. Therefore, and that's there because of what came before. So therefore, he's connecting it. Preparing your minds for actions and being sober-minded set your hope see there's that's what he's trying to do I think so I think the living hope is the the greatest thought or this thought that he is trying to connect everything to um, in that section he says set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ all right So, setting our hope. So, let's look at uh, the principles here. Just four principles that I've got. There are probably many more that we can draw out of this passage. But for sake of time, we will not have any more time than that. Alright, so, uh, one man said this about hope. In in reference to the time, past, future, and uh, present. Here's what that man said. A hope is a hope that holds... The future and the present because it is anchored in the past. A hope is a hope that holds the future and the present because it is anchored in the past. And so our hope has to be anchored in something in the past so that we can presently continue to have that living hope. Remember, it's a living hope, so it's ongoing, it's alive. And not only is it it's live, but the King James translated lively hope so they actually are trying to show it's not just the fact that it's living but that it's active you can be living and just sitting around but if you're living this living hope is not just sitting around it's active it's lively all right so i think that's the reason why they use that word instead of living it means living but it means living actively and they they chose a pretty good word for that lively all right um, we kind of use it a little different way today, you know, lively. When you think about something lively, uh, you don't think of hope, all right? Uh, you think of your maybe your kids sometimes when they're young. They're kind of lively, you know. They're going from one place to the other. Jackson's like that. He's going from this Kittens are like that. We've got kittens in our house now, too. They are lively once they get going, right? You just never know when you're going to step on one because they're always underneath your foot or you're going to slam one in. you don't want to slam it in the door. You have to be very careful. We've got notes on the door. Open door slowly. <laughs> uh, but when, he, when we think of something that's active, we think of that type of thing. But this hope that, 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 that Peter is drawing our attention to, he wants us to understand that it's alive and it should be active. It shouldn't be passive. All right. So we're going to kind of hang all of our principles on this concept of hope. All right. Number one, the principle, number one, a living hope source is a living savior. I think you'll see that according to his great mercy, verse three, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Folks, a resurrection makes all the difference. And we know this. I mean, we, we hear about it. We, we think about it a lot as Christians. Uh, the Apostle Paul said, if, if if the resurrection didn't happen, we're of all men most miserable. We've hoped the highest. And if there is no resurrection from the dead, you know, folks, we're just living uh, uh, in, in a mirage. We're living a dream that's not going to happen. But we all know that when we die, and those that have already died that we know and we love, and that trusted Christ, that... The hope is, the assurance is. Let me get I put it that way, so we're not misunderstanding. This is the assure. This is the confident expectation that we have, is that they're going to resurrect, because a living Savior resurrected. We don't have a dead Savior. We have a living Savior, and so we have a living hope. The hope of the living hope that we have, the source of which is a living Savior. It is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now some may say that phrase actually goes back to the being born again. And and it could, I think you could make a make an argument that to that, but I, I think if you're jump you're jumping over the living hope and I think there's a good connection there to that phrase. Through through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It makes all the difference in Christianity the resurrection from the dead. So, a living hope is a source. Is, its source is a hope. Is is the li, is a living savior. Secondly, principle number two: a living hope is accompanied by an eternal inheritance. Now, our hope is not the inheritance. Okay, I don't think our hope is the inheritance. I don't think that's what we're talking here. Uh, I mean, you could make an argument <laughs> that it may be to an inheritance. And then it says later on uh, how does it say it? to uh, cause us to be born again to a living hope and to an inheritance, even an inheritance, you might think. But I don't think that that's the idea. Now, if Peter is writing mainly probably to Jews for the most part, though a lot of Gentiles are getting the same thing. But for the Jews, when they would see this inheritance word... <laughs> What would they be thinking? What would a Jew be thinking when it came to an inheritance? They'd be thinking land. Because they were all given land. Moses made it clear. God, through Moses, made it clear this, this tribe got this part. And this tribe got this part. He didn't clearly, in Deuteronomy, he just lays it out. But if you'll remember, when it came to the Levites, they weren't given any land, were they? No, they had some cities. They had Levitical cities that people could go to. Remember during the judges, they could go to for protection. Uh, if something happened, they accidentally killed somebody. They could go there for protection until it was the judge came and ruled on what, what happened. But for the most part, you remember what it said that was the inheritance of the Levites? You remember this okay look over to deuteronomy chapter 18 it's repeated again in joshua but we'll just look at deuteronomy 18. deuteronomy 18 and verse 1. the levitical priests all the tribe of levi shall have no portion or inheritance with israel they shall eat the lord's foods offering as their inheritance they shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance, as He promised them. So the Levites, who were the ones that were bringing the, you know, they were the priests representing, representing, uh, representing the children of Israel to God. They were the priests, but their inheritance wasn't land; it was God Himself. I think that's figured. I think that was that was maybe pointing toward the future. Folks, what is our inheritance? It's God. It's Jesus. That's the that's the security that we have. That's what our hope is fixed in. It's fixed in Christ. It's anchored in Jesus, anchored in God. That is our hope. Our inheritance Um, uh, Romans let me just read a couple of verses here that I have as cross references we are in Romans chapter 8 verse 17 if we're children then we're heirs also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him Um, in the book of Acts Acts chapter 26 and verse 8 uh, in the midst of a, a, a series of verses he was, I can't remember the context there. He's giving, um, I don't remember the context. Who it is that he's talking to here. To me, that's important. Let me know okay. back. Um, okay. So it's Paul's defense before Agrippa. So Paul is talking about, um, himself 26 verse 8 yeah my eyes aren't working too good Um, that's not it maybe I wrote down the wrong one All right. Let me just give you what I got here. I know this is a book. This is a verse. I may not have the reference right, but I know it's a verse. Okay. To open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by me. So we have an inheritance. Um, it's laid aside in heaven for us i mean i'm not saying it's just god but it's what god has prepared for us in heaven all right it's an inheritance it's not it's in contrast to what the children of israel would have been thinking that their inheritance was their inheritance involved this earth our inheritance involves heaven right they are going to inherit i mean not all of them i mean some of them we know that god's going to put a new heaven and new earth we know he's going to make a new jerusalem a satellite city between heaven and earth and all this is going to be the dwelling place for eternity okay it's kind of hard to fully understand all of that uh fully picture it all we don't know all the uh ins and outs and all the minute details of that but uh but but God has given to us an inheritance. Now, how, do he, how does he describe what that inheritance is? All right. How, what are the adjectives that describe now this inheritance that he's talking about and how it contrasts what the Jews would have been thinking about, what their inheritance was? Okay. This is an inheritance that is imperishable. Now, something that is imperishable means it does not decay. It's undecaying. Matter of fact, every the first three of these adjectives that are given here, single words, are all in the negative. You know, sometimes you 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 try to understand something by telling somebody what it's not. Okay? And that's what that's what the apostle Peter is doing here. He's trying to explain this inheritance by what it is not. Alright, so all of them begin with this, the alpha, the letter alpha, which negates the word that's there. Okay? So this is an un, and that's why our translations, most of them are un-something, right? Um, Or im, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I'm not sure how the King James puts that, though I probably thought about it long enough I'd know, because I actually memorized that passage in here. Um, But uh, something that is undecaying, and one man put it this way, it's undecaying both in essence and in continuance right so our inheritance is undecaying in essence in what it is none of it's going away none of it's decaying and it's over time time the time element is not involved it's continual it's eternal all right and then secondly it's undefiled now the other time that this word is one of the other times that this word is used is actually used of jesus our high priest in the book of hebrews Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, we won't turn there for sake of time, but it calls him undefiled. Obviously, the purity that's involved in this is the same purity that's in Christ. It's, there's nothing in it that speaks of anything impure. And then it's unfading. Now we have beautiful lilacs in front of us right here. I don't know who brought them. We have lilacs at our house too, and we enjoy them. But lilacs... Over time, and just like daffodils over time, and they're probably quicker than lilacs, I'm not sure who, which one would go first, but uh, they fade, don't they? I mean, if we were to leave the lilacs here for probably till next week, we would see that they're fading. They're just not what they were when we took them off the branch. But not so with our inheritance, folks. There's nothing about our inheritance. The lustre of our inheritance is not going to fade at all. It's going to be just what it is always. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. And guess what? It's kept for us. That's, look, this is what it says. Kept in heaven for you. Now, he doesn't use one word there. He kind of like puts words together here to give us an, an adjective to describe this inheritance. It's, it's kept in heaven for us. Now, this word is very closely related to the next word that's being used here. um, Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation. The word guarded and the word kept are very closely related words. So what are we saying here? Not only is, well, the word, let me say the difference between them. The difference between them seems to be... uh, that the word kept has to do with somebody who's actually watching it, keeping their eye on it, okay? So they're keeping it so they're watching it at all times. And so it's being kept. It's being kept that way. But guarded is more along a military idea. It's actually being put into a safe place and being guarded, okay? Um, Let's see, I think I... page all right Um, these are these are different words that are being used here okay here's here's a quote from a man by the name of Weist, uh who does uh word studies he said this while our inheritance is being guarded in heaven under the watchful eye of God that's the nuance of that word the first word that's used there kept we are being garrisoned about by God's protective care for it The guard is never changed. It's on duty 24 hours a day, year in, year out, until we arrive safe in heaven. So we are not only, we have an inheritance that's being guarded, but we too, the inheritor is also guarded. And what is it guarded by? The power of God. Now we just we sang a song tonight, indescribable. We talked about God's ability to create and certainly creation is a power that is beyond our wildest imaginations. I mean we we spend yeah we're putting in robotics at Walmart now, and I'm sure that, that you know, in order for the that thing to pick that item that they know exactly the size of it and exactly where it is, and then know where to put it on the, the pallet and then know where the next one needs to go. I mean it takes a lot of putting that together. I mean a lot of computation no doubt and a lot of know-how and a lot of probably mess-ups along the way but we know our god just speaks and it comes into being the most incredible uh, uh the most incredible and 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 we can't even figure it out the atom <laughs> peter speaks and they're there and it's complex. And we're still learning about atoms. I mean, they've, they've gone beyond what I, what I learned in science, I'm sure, by now. I mean, it's, it's amazing. But God just spoke that. What kind of power is that, folks? And this is our God. And he's keeping us. You think we're secure? I mean, in his power? I mean, what would the children of Israel thought when Peter wrote power of God? What would they be thinking? Okay, so they had the Old Testament. The power of God. They certainly would have thought about creation, I would imagine. But as I was thinking about it, they certainly would have thought about Daniel. Think about Daniel. He's faithful to God, thrown into a lion's den, and God just keeps the lions from devouring him. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Poor, poor guys. they given the Babylonian name and that's all we refer to them as, right? It's Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's a real name, okay? And we just call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But man, they, they said, we're not going to bow. We're going to obey God. We're going to believe God. And they didn't even come out with the smell of smoke on them. And God was right there in their midst, right? Probably a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ was walking around in that fire with them. I think we're probably having a good time. Well, I would think. You think they're just walking around, saying "ho hum"? I'm not. I wish. I wish I wasn't in here. We're thinking about them, and nobody else has gone through a fiery furnace like that ever. And we're still talking about them. I think they were having a good time. They were probably enjoying time with Jesus, but that's the power of God to do. It. God can do what He wants to do. You know, I think about—I was listening to a message, and I never made this connection before. Maybe some of you have, or maybe maybe somebody pointed it out to you. But I've never, so I'm going to point it out to you so that you'll be blessed by this too. But I was listening to a message about the whole Bible. I mean, it was one message on the whole Old Testament and then one message on the whole New Testament. And uh, as he was describing it, he said, you know, the placement of these books is significant. And I thought, "Okay, what do you mean by that? Well, the book of Job, I mean, we know it's the oldest book in the Bible, but where is it located? I mean, it was it's located in 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 the poetry section because Job is all poetry But it's right before the book of Psalms. And folks, if you think about Psalm 1, what is that? But it's a testimony of Job. He was a man that didn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. That was his friends. But his delight was in God's law. He meditated day and night. And he was like a fruitful tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth fruit. I mean, God continued to bless him as he was tried, and one trial after another trial after another trial. And at that, I mean, you hear, there's only so, so much that you can take, right? And Job was about, I mean, I, I, I don't know. And then his wife, she said, Curse God and die, Job. You're, you're guilty. She was no help. But Job continued. To meditate on God. I mean, he wasn't a perfect man. We know that. He knew he needed a redeemer. But he was the epitome of Psalm 1. Somebody put that in order. Probably Ezra, maybe. I mean, one of the scribes, they they put the book of Psalms in order. That didn't just randomly happen. Somebody took the time to categorize these things and put them in order. And Job... I mean, and then look at a, look at a contrast between Psalm one and Psalm two, or even the second part of Psalm one, not so for the wicked, they're going to perish. They're going to blow away like the chaff. And then the wicked are going to rise and, and the nations are going to assemble themselves against God and his anointed. And they're going to, and God is just going to what? He's just going to laugh. I mean. And the nations think they can stand against God. God has no power. I mean, God has no problem because of his power dealing with those nations. I mean, we think about the nations that we we are a little, I mean, we don't know where we're going to be in 15, 20 years, right? We may be, who knows? I don't even want to say it. <laughs> um, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen, but there are nations out there and they are amassing power, <laughs> so that they can have their way make no bones about it they don't want just their country they want ours but if God wants that to happen he can have, He can let it happen but God is powerful enough that even all those mass armies and the, that artillery that they have and those bombs that they have and those weapons of destruction that they have it's no problem to God what's he going to do I mean, we, we, we know about it because we see what he's going to eventually do in the book of Revelation, right? By the word of his mouth, he's going to speak and there. It's all going to go away. That's power. Folks, we're kept by that God. Our inheritance is kept by that God. They, you, you, you're not taking that. I mean, that's an encouragement to these who are in exile because of persecution. I mean, their relatives may have been burned at the stake matter of fact Peter actually talks about he, he actually goes on and, and really our our next principle is that our, our living hope will be tested like our faith too I mean it's connected faith and hope are connected and, and God is going he's going to put us through difficult circumstances but he's doing what he's testing the genuineness of our faith the genuineness of our faith you know, faith can increase. That's one thing that can increase. Now, tr- saving faith, okay, well, we're saved. But yet, our faith can increase, and certainly our faithfulness can increase. Right? That's on our part. That's part of the, one of the fruits of the sp- Fruit, singular, of the Spirit. Plural. <laughs> okay, it's fruit of the Spirit. Not fruits of the Spirit. That's fruit. It's all part of what God wants us to be living out. And to be demonstrating, and faithfulness can increase, and so can faith as it's tested. And we go through difficult circumstances, and Job being the the epitome of that, uh, how he was tested, and yet what is the result? The result is there in in the end of verse seven. That the test, the testing of the genuine faith may be found to result. In praise and glory and honor. Not ours, folks. <laughs> but God's. And Jesus. Praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then the promise is there. Though we haven't seen him. And those people were second generation that Peter was writing to. Peter had seen him. Remember? Remember? Jesus made a particular visit just for Peter. What would that have done to you? I mean, he, he he made many appearances, but if you were the one, if you were Mary Magdalene, if you were Peter, and he specifically made a, an appearance just for you, that would set you on fire. And that's what it did to the apostles. There's no other explanation for these guys cowering and then these guys preaching. And they were un and, mo, and all of them according to church history met a tragic death except John. What would have kept them? I mean, what if, they did not see a delusion, folks? There wasn't a spirit that they saw. They saw the living Christ. What would that that ought to be us? Do we have that kind of faith i mean we all believe that he, he's but is our faith dwindling we need to increase that faith this is this is what other people need to see and then at the end of that, then that that believing though not seeing and loving him though we don't see him is going to result in joy Rejoicing with joy, and here, it's inexpressible. This is the the translation, ESV. It's inexpressible and filled with glory. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, there's a song out like, does anybody know that song? Yes. A few of you do. I couldn't find it in my hymnal. I couldn't find it in the hymnal of the church. I had to go way back to the hymnal that I grew up in. Inspiring hymns, okay? And it's in there joy unspeak. my wife didn't know this song <laughs> let me read it to you okay i mean it's not deep theological <laughs> i wouldn't say it's deep theological that's probably why they took it out some of the hymn books um but uh but it's it, it's this guy is is thinking through his salvation experience i have found his grace it's all complete he supplyeth every need you know it, yeah. We can sing it, brother. <laughs> While I sit and learn at Jesus' feet, I am free. Yes, free indeed. I have found the pleasure I once craved. It is joy and peace within. What a wondrous blessing! I am saved from the awful guilt of sin. I have found that hope so bright and clear. Living in the realm of grace. Oh, the Savior's presence is so near. I can see His smiling face. I have found the joy no tongue can tell how its waves of glory roll. It's like a great or flowing well springing up within the soul. And then the frame is, it is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. And then he says this, oh, the half has never yet been told. Folks, we have got something to look forward to. This is our hope. It's living. It's active. It's based and it's anchored in Christ. It's anchored in Jesus, and that's about as stable as you can be. Principle number four: Our eternal, our living hope will result in our eternal salvation. Our living hope will result in our eternal salvation. Um, and, and, he, and he talks about that uh, in in verse, expressing. Uh, inexpressible and filled with glory and then verse 9 obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls and then he goes on to explain that salvation and we don't have time to get into that but again even that's explaining that salvation guess what he talks about he talks about the prophets of old then he talks about carefully inquiring right now indicating Predicting the sufferings of Christ, subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. Those those people that wrote, they didn't know what they were writing. They inquired, "What are we writing about?" They understood they were writing for somebody else. That's us. They're writing for us. They weren't serving themselves but you in the things that have been announced to you through those that preach the good news. Good news unto you. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven and the, the angels are looking into these things and they're longing to look into them. Folks, Jesus didn't die for any angels. None of them. And there were myriads. Thousands of angels. That the devil took with him. A third of them probably what we think. Why didn't he die for them? He didn't die for them. He'd die for you. for me why you think the angels probably wonder why if I was an angel I'd wonder why I don't know why God doesn't explain it but he didn't die for any of them he died for every one of us and everyone that we come in contact with he died for them is that a burden for you it ought to be his power immense immeasurable all that he's done for us folks my hope is Jesus uh, Ron Hamilton wrote that song in conjunction with I don't know if we can sing it because it's a difficult song to sing uh, um But it's in conjunction with this man, Edward Mote, who wrote, um, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So he uses some of the same phraseology that the old writer used, and then he puts a new tune to it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness hides my Savior's face, I rest on his unchanging grace. When faith is weak and doubt is strong, boy that comes doesn't it especially when you're in a trial i still lift up salvation song when he shall come with trumpet sound oh may i then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone faultless to stand before the throne my hope is jesus the anchor of my soul the ruler of this universe the one who's in control he saved me and he will keep me till the end the rock of my salvation on Christ I will depend. My hope is Jesus. My hope is Jesus. My hope is Jesus. And the reality is, Ron's there singing that for Christ right now. And we might be tomorrow, or next week, or next year, because we're kept by the power of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you that you've given us the privilege to love you. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for this book, book of 1 Peter. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to recognize this living hope that we have and all that it entails. Help us, Lord, to be challenged by the message that you've left us with to give to others that they too might know the power of God to the saving of their souls. Lord, we thank you that even though you bring difficulties in our lives that, that try us, that, that test the genuineness of our faith, Lord, we're thankful that we know that because we can't do it, but you can, as long as we continue to trust and have our confidence in you. We pray that you would just uh, give us a good week coming up. Um, we do pray for um, our brother this morning, whose son David is going over to Guam. We pray that you would bless him and his efforts and those others when they're going with him on that missionary trip. We pray that they would be used by you effectively, and you might even call some of them to the foreign field, if, if it be your will. We pray for our pastor as he no doubt finishes a long day and uh, maybe has to set through some questions and that type of thing. We pray that you give him wisdom and understanding of what you have for him and his family. And we pray that you would uh, uh, just uh, make the path plain for him. And we'll thank you for that. Give our church wisdom and, and how we proceed and what you would have us to do and, and moving forward. Bless our time. Uh, as we hear from you and even this week as we read our bibles and as we pray uh, that we would see uh, your hand working in our lives in jesus name amen